Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, it's great to have you here today. I want to welcome all of you. Welcome those of you that are watching with us online. And listen, if this is your first time here, we truly mean what we say in that welcome video. You can relax. We're not going to make you introduce yourself or do anything. We're just glad that you've joined us. So as a church, we just finished up a series last week called Cloud Nine. And in that series, we looked at joy and happiness and how we can have joy and happiness in our life. And really what we learned was you can't make that the goal of your life, but it's the byproduct of the way we live our lives. So uh, last week, we kind of looked at the overarching theme of Philippians, the thing that'll bring us joy. And if you didn't get a chance to finish that up, I want to encourage you to do that this week. So today we're starting a a new series, as you saw from that trailer, called Everyday People. And what we're going to do in this series is we're going to look at how God uses everyday people to accomplish his will and his purpose in this world. Because the truth is, we don't believe that. We don't believe that God uses or can use everyday people ordinary people. We think God uses, you know, the the most spiritually educated, the religious elite, the ones that have their lives all together. You know, maybe they read the Bible from cover to cover every two or three months. They pray regularly. We don't think that God uses everyday people. We've really convinced ourselves that God could never do that. And maybe you even grew up in an environment where you were told that you wouldn't be used Uh, for God's purpose or God's plans, that he wasn't going to do anything significant through your life. Maybe as a well-meaning teacher or or pastor or youth leader, but I want to show us in this series that God truly does use everyday people to accomplish his work on this earth. And, uh, you know, we don't believe that because of the way our culture is, because of the way the world is. When you're putting together a team when you're putting together a band, a debate club, a board of directors of a company or a corporation, we think it's the best and the brightest because we're going to pick people or put people on those teams that we think give us the best opportunity to win and to succeed. And we tend to think God works that way too. I mean, think about maybe if you grew up in church and and when we study, and we're going to look at some of them in this in this series, but when we study the biblical characters, you know, we look at them as kind of the rock stars or superstars because of what they were able to accomplish. And a lot of times what happens is we take our eyes off of the God that's working in those people and we put the focus on the individual. So naturally, that's the way we think. If God's going to put together a team, if God's going to do anything significant in this world, he's only going to use certain people. But it doesn't work that way. But it, we just think that way. Think of, here's what I want you to do. Think about a, a sports team. And if you're putting together a sports team, whether it be college athletics or pro or high school or even, you know, these traveling teams, you want to put together the team that's going to give you the best opportunity to win, right? That's, that's what we do. I think about the Chicago Cubs. And in, until 2016, they had not won a World Series since 1908, 108 years without a World Series 
championship. Well, the Cubs changed hands. The ownership changed hands. I think it was in 2009. It went from the Wrigley family to the Ricketts family, I believe. And the Ricketts family said, we're going to put together a team that's going to win the World Series. So they studied every aspect of the game and they looked at player statistics. You know, typically what a team would do, but they started studying personalities and what skill set do we need and what skills and abilities do we already have. And lo and behold, they put together a team that won the World Series. And that's the way our culture operates. It doesn't matter what you're putting together. We're going to put together a group of individuals that's going to give us the best chance at success. So naturally, we think that's the way God works, but he doesn't. He uses people like me and people like you, everyday people. So in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at people that God chose, that God selected to use in a mighty way despite their faults, despite their fears, despite their anxiety, despite their discouragement, despite their shortcomings, God was still able to use them. So my hope and prayer by the time we get through this series is this is what we'll walk away with. And it's the first learning. And listen, if you ever want to follow along with our notes and the scripture verses, you can download the Church Center app on your phone. And it gives you access to more than just our notes at the church. Or if you're here for the first time or just haven't gotten around to downloading that app, you can open your camera on your phone and you can scan that QR code on the seat backs. But here's our first learning. God uses everyday people to do amazing things. That's what I want us to walk away with when we're through with this series. And the fact that God could truly use us. If you think about it, there's people around you all the time. Everyday, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Extraordinary things in our community. Extraordinary things for God and God's kingdom. Extraordinary things for nonprofits, for businesses. They're everywhere. You ever heard of a lady by the name of Irene? Irina Sindler. Probably not. But in World War II, she posed as a sanitation inspector during a typhoid fever outbreak in the ghettos of Warsaw, Poland. And she single-handedly saved over 2,500 Jewish children from the Nazis. She'd, uh, you know, take them out one at a time, two at a time, three at a time. But 2,500 children she saved during her lifetime. Probably have never heard of her. She was just an average, everyday, ordinary person that God chose to use in an amazing way. And I think a lot of times we don't see this too because we do think success in the world is about being the best. It's about being the brightest. It's about being the most educated or having the most talents. But that's not how God works. As a matter of fact, listen to Paul's words from the message translation in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Paul said, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses? Chose these nobodies to exploit Expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. This makes it clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. 
everything that we have, right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow a trumpet for God. I love that translation because that's saying, hey, when the, when the odds are against us, when we may not have the greatest gifting or the greatest abilities, we're in a position to be used by God. Because if you look at history, if you look at the scripture, all through the scripture, God loves to use everyday people, ordinary people, the underdog, if you will. God will use people who are weak, people who are hurting, people who lack confidence, people who have a past, which is every one of us, people who are depressed and discouraged. He'll use anybody and everybody to advance his kingdom on this earth. But again, we don't typically believe that because we see how society operates and this mentality of only the best and the brightest the brightest and the best, as Paul said, it's ingrained in us from a very early age. I want you to think back for a minute on your childhood. Some of you, you're going to have to think way back. All right. But think back on your childhood for a minute. And this is going to come as a shock to the kids in the room. But we used to play in this place called outside, <laughs> right? We used to catch frogs and snakes and play in the creek and drink water from the creek and we'd skin our knees and our elbows and, and we'd play with other kids that lived in our area. The only way we knew it was time to go home, we didn't have a cell phone. Most of us didn't have a watch. It was when mom yelled or dad yelled, it's supper time. Or whoever's house you were at, they got tired of looking at your little face and they sent you home, right? But do you remember playing games in the neighborhood? Maybe you'd play flashlight tag at night or you played, you know, red rosy or you played football or dodgeball or kickball or something. How did you split up people in the neighborhood? You picked two captains, right? Okay, today you're going to be a captain and, and you're going to be a captain. And those captains, depending on what game we were playing, they would select players based on their ability. I think, you know, Mary's going to give us the best opportunity to win flashlight tag. Or I think John's going to give us the best opportunity to win dodgeball, so I'm going to choose them for my team. It's been this way since the time we were little. It's always been, we got to put together the best. We got to put together the brightest, those with the greatest skill set if we're ever going to succeed and win. God doesn't work that way. Jesus didn't work that way. Look at the disciples the team of disciples that he put together. These were individuals who were, some were insecure, some were afraid, some were inadequate, some were uneducated, some were overconfident and full of pride, yet Jesus pulled these people together to push the, king, the gospel message throughout the entire earth. And as a side note, if you've never seen The Chosen, it's, an, it's a binge-worthy series, if you will, on the life of Jesus and the disciples. It's a free app. You just download it to your phone, and you can watch it on a tablet. You can watch it on television. It doesn't cost you anything. But it gives you kind of a, a, a real-life picture of what the disciples were probably like. It takes the words of Scripture and puts them into characters. It's really easy to understand. But you see in this series just how ordinary 
these people were, even though over the years we've kind of elevated them to this high status because we look at the individual and not the God working through them. But think about the disciples that Jesus put together. You had Thomas, a guy who was, you know, he was plagued with doubts. You had James and John who were two fishermen that would have made, uh, you know, Sig Hansen uh, look like a, a newbie when it came to fishing. They were salty. They were rough around the edges. Jesus called them the sons of thunder. Then you had Peter who was kind of impulsive kind of abrasive, kind of, he was rough around the edges too. You had Matthew, who was a tax collector. Matthew's Jewish. He's collecting taxes for the Roman government from the Jewish community, from his own people, and he was basically stealing from them, taking more money than he needed to pad his own pockets. Then you had the exact opposite, Simon the Zealot, who hated the Roman Empire and was against taxes. And you imagine when those two met, or Judas, a, a guy who had massive integrity problems. He stole money from the disciples, right? He betrayed Jesus himself. But all of these disciples that Jesus chose to put together this team, it wasn't the best and the brightest and the ones with the highest skill set or the ones from the most influential families. They were just everyday people like you and me. As a matter of fact, I'll show it to you in the scripture. And just to give you a little background, Peter and John are out preaching. They're out telling people about Jesus and how Jesus can change their life. And they get arrested and they're brought before the high council. And listen to what the high council said about two of Jesus' disciples. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see they were ordinary men with no special training in the scripture. Everyday, ordinary people doing amazing things for God. And I know you, you may still doubt this. Oh man, there's, there's no way that God could use me. But I assure you, just look at my life. Look at your friend's life. God uses people who are messed up. God uses the least likely people that we would suspect. And I told the first service, that's the reason some of my friends from high school and college come to this church, because they're like, he's a what? And, and they had to come and to see it to really believe it, because I, I grew up like a lot of people, you know, in, a, in an everyday, ordinary family, but I, I was pretty mischievous. Uh, my mom would say I was not pretty mischievous. I was mischievous, but, you know, got into trouble some, didn't always want to follow the rules to a T. My first couple of years in college, I had more fun than I ever attended classes. But, you know, I've been insecure and not had a lot of confidence at times. There's been times in my life I've let fear drive me instead of really trusting the Lord to, to lead me and to guide me. There's been more times than not where I've tried to take control of things and control the outcome instead of trusting that God knew what was best. There's been times that I have not been nice to people and haven't been compassionate with people. I get discouraged, just like you get discouraged when things don't go the way I think they should go or people get upset and they, and they leave the church or say something hurtful about the church. I want to quit. I got to be honest, there, there's times 
that, that I've gone for extended periods and haven't read my Bible or haven't prayed every day because I've been so discouraged because I'm just an everyday ordinary person. And, and a lot of times I feel like I'm over my head. I feel like I'm over my head pastor in this church. I, sometimes I feel like I'm over my head as a parent and, and, and what decision to make and what decision not to make. I love what King Solomon said in 1 Kings 3, 7. I keep this as a frequent verse, but it says, I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. You ever felt like that? You could be a grown person and still feel like a little child that doesn't know their way around. The good news is we don't have to do it all. I don't have to do it all. You don't have to do it all. God's going to do it through us. And because he uses everyday people, we can't take credit for what he does in and through our lives. I look at the life of this church. It's an average everyday church that's doing extraordinary things. Why? Because God's doing it. Right? There's not one or two people that give all the, the money to pay all the bills at the church. It's all of us. Right? It's all of us supporting what God's doing here. There's not just a handful of people who serve in our growth groups and, and, and volunteer on Sundays. It's literally hundreds of people every week that pull this thing off. And it's everyday people, just like the disciples, just like some of those people we've labeled heroes of the faith. God's just decided I'm going to do some extraordinary things through these people. And that's, it's a good thing that God works that way isn't it? That he uses everyday people. Because if he didn't, we're in way over our heads here, right? But he uses all of us. And he wants to use you. And when he calls you to do something, here's something I can assure you that's going to happen if he calls you. He will call you to do something. And it's learning number two. We often feel incapable of doing what God calls us to do. Ask any volunteer, ask any group leader, any group participant, any pastor uh, that is honest with you on where they stand. We all feel incapable of whatever it is God calls us to do. We feel like we're not qualified. And honestly, I think that's the way God prefers it. Why? So we have to rely on him. So that he gets all the glory and all the credit for everything that happens. That's why that verse said, you can't brag in the presence of God about what God is doing. He uses people who are flawed and hurt, people who are weak, to make it crystal clear to the rest of the world who's doing it. So he gets all the credit and all the fame and all the recognition for the stuff that happens in our life. And I'm sure just like my life, your life, people look at the change and they're like, wow, there is no way they could have done that on their own. That had to have been God. But unfortunately, as, as God starts to do things through us or in us, we start to take the focus off of God and we put it on ourselves. Or, or like we've done in the past, instead of looking at the God that's working through people and the God who's doing amazing and extraordinary things, we start to look at the individual and we start to elevate them on, on a platform. One of the heroes in the, in the Bible, maybe, instead of seeing 
in reality, it's God that's doing everything. We can't take credit for what God's done in our lives in this church or anything else. It's all him and it's all his doing. Psalm 115 verse 1 says, not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. To your name be the glory. That's a theme throughout the entire scripture. It weaves itself all through the Bible, but if we're not careful, we'll miss it. What that's saying is God deserves the glory for everything. Everything that happens in and through our lives, he should get the glory. Life is not about us. And sometimes people will be like, well, does God really need that? It's not because God's so full of pride. He wants the glory. He wants people to see his glory and see his magnificence and realize that he is the answer. So God's glory, really what that verse is kind of alluding to is God's glory needs to shine through us, right? Through anything and everything we do, whatever he calls us to do, his glory needs to shine through. And he will, God will use anything and everything to bring glory to himself so that others see truly who he is. Psalm 19 verses one through four say, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Listen to Romans eleven thirty six. For everything comes from him and exists by his power. And it is intended for what? His glory. All glory to him forever and ever. God's going to use whatever to bring glory to himself, to show his glory to this world, including us. So God wants to use us, everyday people, to bring him glory. But I think first we have to be broken. What do you mean by that? We have to be broken of our pride, in other words. And we talk about pride and humility a lot around here because we can't be used by God until we're humble because God's not going to compete Right? He's not going to compete with anyone for his glory. So he wants us to be humble. He wants to use us. He wants to use us in a big way. But first, we got to free ourselves from ourselves. God wants to strip away our pride. He wants to strip away our arrogance, our, our self-centeredness, our independence, so that he gets all the glory. As a matter of fact, here's God's desire, and it's learning number three. God's desire is for us to be totally dependent on him. Do you realize this? We're very independent people in our society, but God wants us to be dependent on him. In other words, he wants us to realize that we're not the center of the universe. He is the center of the universe, and we should be dependent on him for everything. Again, he wants everything to bring honor and glory to him so that the world sees what he's capable of and who he is. 
1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That's got to be our mentality. Whatever I do in life, whatever I say in life, I need to remember I got to do this for the glory of God. See, God loves us. He cares about us. He, he has a plan for us. I don't think any of us would argue that point. But again, if we're not careful, we forget that life is about God and God's glory, and we start to think life is about me, but it's not. 23rd Psalm, first three verses. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to his name. Now, you, you know this is one of the most popular psalms because it's a picture. It's really a picture of what we want, right? It, it sounds like, man, God's really protected me. He's passionate about me. He's totally into me. He cares about me, and that's true. But we always miss the last part of, of, of verse 3a, bringing honor to his name. He guides me along right past bringing honor to his name. Everything he does in and through our life, he wants it to bring honor to his name. So yes, God is for us. He's into us. He loves us, but he wants us to bring him glory so that others know who he is. Does that make sense? So it's all about him. You know, we always say, hey, life's not all about you. We should finish that sentence. Life's not all about you. It's all about God's glory. And that shouldn't come as a, oh man, I wanted life all about me. It shouldn't come as a disappointment. It should come as encouragement. That should be a freeing statement because that means life is not up to us, right? The world's going to continue to go on even if I make a mistake, even if I mess up, even if I don't come through in this area, the world is still going to go on because God's still in control and it's all about him. I think about the reason we have most of the problems and the issues in our life and it's because we think the world revolves around us, right? We think it should be about us. It's the reason why, you know, driving here this morning and a truck comes over and he doesn't give a signal and I said, nice signal jerk, you know, to myself, is I could be in a great mood one minute, and then all of a sudden, because I think it's about me. The world's about me. And I'm like, really, God? I'm like, this is what you're going to have me talk about, and then I just did this. Right? It, it, it's the reason we have difficulty and problems in our marriage. Because we think the marriage should be all about me without any thought to what our spouse may need. It's the reason we can get angry and upset when the boss says it's time to come back in the office after you've been home now 15 months working from home and you get upset and angry about that. So we think life should be about us. The company should revolve around me. It's the reason people get upset and they, they leave a church somewhere because they think the church should be about them. It's not about them. It's about the people who don't know Jesus. And we grow and develop and we become spiritually mature when we hit help to find the lost. The more we make life about us, the more angry we get, the more frustrated we get, the more tired we get. That's why we have to allow God to truly free us from ourselves, to humble us, and then we're in the position to be used by him. So, so imagine, if you will, what would happen if we embraced the fact that we're mostly 
ordinary, right? We're mostly everyday people, and that anything God uses us for is a reflection of his greatness and his glory. Imagine how different the world would be. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says this, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. What's God saying? He's saying we're a great treasure, but we're inside this fragile jar. That means our greatness, our power, that great treasure is him. It comes from him, not from us. That means I don't have to run anymore from my weaknesses. You don't have to hide from a regret of your past. We can embrace those things. And God can still use us. And God still wants to use us. And maybe you're here today or watching and and you feel like you've been overlooked. Maybe because of something that happened in your past or something you said or something you didn't. Say, God hasn't overlooked you. God says that we're chosen. Isn't that amazing to think? The God of the heavens and the earth has chosen us. He's chosen us to display his greatness in the world. That's why he calls us to move from pride to humility or from bitterness to encouragement or from hatred to love or from being self-centered to being selfless, from being insecure to confident. Why does he want us to move? For his glory. Because when people see the changes in us, that only can take place through a relationship with Christ. They see how awesome God is. That's what it means that he gets the glory. Ephesians 1, 4, and 6 says, Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he's poured out on us who belong to his dear son. If you're ever feeling discouraged, that's a great verse for you to read. God chose you. He loves you. That should give us the confidence to conquer anything in our life, to climb the highest mountain, to overcome our biggest fear. Again, to get rid of any regret that's holding us back from our past. God called us and chose us to be without fault in his eyes. He adopted us into his family. How does God adopt us into his family? Through Jesus. That's why he sent Jesus to this earth to adopt us into his own family. When we have a relationship with Jesus, we become perfect in God's eyes. But first, we got to acknowledge, right? We are messed up. We are sinful. We do think the world revolves around us, and we have to have payment for that sin. God cannot stand sin. He can't tolerate sin, so we have to have payment for our sin. Jesus is the way to pay for our sins. But when we invite Christ into our life, accept the fact that he died for us, and he forgives us, and then we start to follow him and let him be the Lord of our life, 
that's when God adopts us into his family. So no longer does he look at Scott and see all of Scott's sin and all of Scott's past and all of Scott's problems. He sees Jesus and what Jesus did for Scott. That's when he adopts us into his own family. So bottom line, learning number four, through Christ, everyone can do extraordinary things. Everyone, not just some, not just a select few, not just the people who are highlighted in the scripture, not just the disciples, everyone can do extraordinary things through Christ. And who gets the glory for that? God gets the glory for that. So don't ever think that you can't be used by God. God uses everyday people to accomplish his purposes on this earth. And if we will allow God to free us from ourselves, he'll use us in a mighty way and he will get the glory. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much that you do use us. Lord, that you, do, you use us to do some amazing things. Lord, I think about the people just in this church and what you've done in and through their lives for your kingdom. Lord, it has nothing to do with us, what you've done almost over the past 11 years. And we can't wait to see what you're going to do the next 11 years. God, when I look at some of the churches in our community and what you've done through those churches, through the nonprofits. It's amazing, Lord, but it's because you're doing the work. Help us to be free of ourselves, totally dependent on you, and to realize anything and everything that you do through our lives. It's you doing it. It's not us. Maybe you're praying with us today from home or you're here and you've never said yes to Christ. Maybe you've never received forgiveness for your sins. Maybe it was confusing to you of how that works. Let me encourage you today. Start that relationship with Christ. Just invite him into your life. Just pray from your heart. Say, Jesus, you know, I, I know I'm a sinner. I know my sin separates me from you. I want forgiveness. I want you to come into my life. I want you to make me a new person. Or maybe you've been following Christ for a long time. Let him use you. Tell God, hey, wherever you need me, wherever you want to use me, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it to bring you glory and you honor and to further your kingdom. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for these people. Lord, continue to use us in this community and beyond. We love you and we praise you. Amen. As we finish up real quick, if you want to finish filling out those connection cards, that electronic connection card on that church center app or on that QR code, let us know what we can be praying for you. Uh, let us know anything you got going on or what you need. Uh, it's just our way of staying connected with you through the week. Uh, if you came prepared to worship through generosity, you can do that online or you can do that in the black boxes on the way out. 
It's great to see you. I hope you have a terrific afternoon, a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday on the 4th of July. God bless you guys.